Welcome to Basket Talks new episode. This is Mir Demir Demirar from Basket Talks. In this episode, we are with Dan Hoots. Hi, Coach. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Nice to hear that. How is your life? Is everything great? Yeah, you know, it's a new stage of my life. I, I coached for 45 years. Then I kind of went into retirement. I didn't really want to retire. I still wanted to be a coach. I just wanted to do it differently. So I'm actually very busy doing a lot of different things, but still in the vein of being a basketball coach. Thank you. Actually, I have questions about your transition in broadcasting profession, but I want to start with your basketball history. Just can you describe your journey from the first time you met with basketball to becoming one of the most successful coaches in the WNBA? What were the major challenges and triumphs along the way? When I was a little guy of seven years old, we had a very good high school team that went to the state tournament. My parents took me to the game and it's funny. Yes, I wanted to be a basketball player, but I centered on being a coach. That team and the fact that I saw myself as being a coach, that never changed over 60 years. I'm 68 and that started it all for me. I was okay player. I wasn't a good player, but I really studied all the, the teams I was on, all the coaches that worked with me through the years. And I started at the high school level coaching boys basketball, basically about 30 miles from where I'm talking to you right now. And I was the youngest head basketball coach for boys in 1978, long time ago. But that team did very good and it kind of started me on a career where I would end up coaching men for 20 years and women for 25 and coach all the way from high school to small college to major college and then into the pro on the women's side. I became a head coach, I guess in 1999, was a head coach for almost 20 years at four different WNBA franchises. Was fortunate to spend about 13 years with USA Basketball. Ended up the last five, I was an assistant coach with Coach Daly and her staff. And I concluded my coaching in Tokyo at the Olympics with the gold medal. Yeah, thank you. When you were a player, I th- your mindset, your mental is like coach, right? You were a point guard or which position were you playing? I was a guard, to be honest with you. I coached a lot of players that were way better than me as point guards, because I probably coached the greatest collection of point guards any women's basketball coach ever had the opportunity to coach. But yeah, I looked at the game that way, and I think it, it has enabled me to trust and believe in players and try to empower players to own the court in their own way. Yeah, and right now you are known for your player development, especially in number of all-star and all WNBA selections under your coaching, as you said. And uh, actually, I want to know what's your philosophy on player development and growing, developing talent. Player development, it's important that you understand your strengths and that you play to them. Players are different. I do think developing weaknesses so they're not weaknesses is important, but I think even above that, it's understanding what your strengths are and then maximizing your ability to use them strengths. Like if you're a, take Jewel Lloyd, who I just saw this weekend, a wonderful, wonderful player that I really cherish coaching. 
phenomenal catch and shoot player to bring out the best and the strength in Jewel, then you had to make sure she was educated and understood how to get herself open to those situations. That kind of thinking to me is a lot about player development. And I'm a big believer in repetition. And I had routines that I thought the players should develop, but I also very much believe in players. I don't want them to be a carbon copy of each other. I like them to have some creative Creativity to define their own game. Yeah, thank you. And actually, you are the only coach in WNBA. I just want to jump into the, some team orientation. You are the only coach in WNBA history to take three different franchise of the playoff. I really want to know what's your secret for adapting to new teams and environments so successfully. Well, actually, it's four. I four? Think it's four. Oh, sorry. So, uh, I'm, I, that's okay. Uh, in most cases, it has to do with the culture. With changing the culture, the culture can represent winning as quickly a fashion as possible. And that's really about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. The relationships that you get you form on a day-to-day -day basis, what you work on on a day-to-day -day basis. It's how you do your business with your staff, players. That, to me, is the biggest thing. Because once you change the culture and you hand it over to the players, then I think it becomes powerful. And the quicker you can get to that point to have players who can really handle the situation and that they know you are empowering them, then they get ownership of that. But to me, I look back and three of the four places I went, it happened probably in my first year when I became an interim coach at Charlotte. That's what gave me an opportunity to go to Cleveland. And then in the first year at Cleveland, we went from 7 and 25 to 18 and 15. So you, you got a big switch there. In Seattle, they had finished eight the year before and they were 15 and 18. And we go 26 and 8 and win the regular season and the WNBA championship. But the one that took me the longest was San Antonio. I went to San Antonio and it took almost three years to get to a point where we had a good team. The lesson there was that they let me have a third year. A lot of times as pro coaches, you hope to get two. I think I was very fortunate that I got a third and that gave us the ability to change the culture and to have the personnel that was ready for me to give the ball to, so to speak. Yeah. Thank you. As we just talked about, you have huge basketball career. Like when I read it, I just fall out from my chair, like really huge. And thank you for coming again. I just forgot to say that in the beginning. Thank you for coming. And actually, I want to ask you, you were a player and you were working. I, I don't know, maybe you are currently working with men's still, but you see the two sides of basketball, like men's and women's. In player development business, I think all coaches working with men's and women's, I want to know what are the key differences between men's and women's basketball in player development coaching system? That's a really good question and probably the one I've been asked the most in my career. My take on that is quite simply, I, I didn't change my style of coaching one bit going from men to women. And I worked really hard to understand how they learned. I just didn't see a lot of differences in the two. Wanted to learn how they learned and teach in different styles to different players. It was more about getting me to understand how they learn. Now, what I did find on the women's side, there was a lot more verbal learners. There were people that I could talk 
and get my priorities, my points across to them. I'm probably best at the verbal learners, but not all women were, but there were more verbal learners on the women's side. The conversations, the words, as opposed to the actions could be a little more fruitful with women. The second thing that I found was the women players really cared how I coached their teammates. They wanted to make sense about how I coached them. They needed to understand how I was coaching their teammates. That mattered to them more than it did with male players. I'm not quite sure why. My philosophy was to coach every player, whether it was number one or number 12 on my team, as aggressively and as hard as I could. That's always been my philosophy. You know, I didn't coach the better players more and the players that didn't play as much less. So that philosophy really fit well with women players because they could understand, they could see how I was coaching their teammates more readily. Yeah. Thank you. You talked about your job in USA national team in Olympics. And can you share some memorable experiences from your time working with the USA basketball selection committee uh, for the world champion and the Olympics? I originally became involved with them a little bit when Gino Arayama, the legendary uh, Connecticut coach, I think he wanted someone on the committee. There's a committee that does a lot of things towards the team. He wanted a coach to be on that committee. At that point, I was a GM and a head coach. I had that kind of background. So I served eight years and really learned a lot. I was there quite a bit. I studied the teams. I really valued that job. And then it led to Don Staley taking over for Coach Ariella. And Don was my first point guard in Charlotte. I had wonderful opportunity to serve with her. And the other two members of the coaching staff were Cheryl Reeve, who has won multiple championships with Minnesota, but she was also my assistant in Cleveland. And Jennifer Rosati was the fourth member of the team, and she played for me in Cleveland. Had a lot of interweavings between the staff. That was just really unique to me. And probably the best story I can give you is that when I became the assistant coach on that team and I was getting ready for the world championship, we had him in Tenerife and we went to Tokyo, but had to wait a year to go to Tokyo. So it was about a five-year commitment. But I went to former assistant coach then. And I said, I want to be as good assistant coach because I'd been a head coach then for about, I don't know, 15, 16 years. So it's been a while since I've been an assistant. What can you tell me that to help me be the best assistant for, for Coach Daly? And he said to me, there's going to come a time and you won't know when it's going to be, but she's going to ask you a question or need advice and you need to be ready for it. He had been a, a wonderful assistant to Coach Ariyama. So I did that. I kind of was prepared. And then I can really point to a couple moments. You know, she's asking a question here. I am prepared with an answer. It just worked out pretty good. We had a good enough team. There wasn't a lot of moments where Coach Daly really needed any kind of <laughs> advice. We, we were a pretty good team, but I was ready for those moments. And that's the one that stands out to me. And then also Brittany Griner's play. We played Japan in the gold medal game and her play was just outstanding. Japan was a very good three-point shooting team and all that, yet Brittany got out on the floor, guarded those people. The final thing that stands out from all that experience was being in Tokyo, playing in the Tokyo Dome, all of our games, including the gold medal game, with no fans. 
because of COVID. But the only fans that were in the building was the USA men's team. It was made up of Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Jermon Green, all the NBA stars. Greg Popovich, who was a friend of mine, Steve Kerr, Jay Rice, some legendary coaches. Now we're playing in this huge dome and our cheering section are those people. So that left a remarkable memory in my mind. But those are just, I, I have so many that I cherish, but those are some that jump out at me. Thank you for you to share your unique and good as gold story with us. Actually, it's kind of old question for you, but I just need to ask it for my audience because I think they are curious about that. Because my question is, what are the key qualities you look for in a player when you are making selections or trades? Well, there's two things. I, I had to make a lot of decisions in drafting players, for example, in the WNBA, because I usually made those decisions through my almost my whole career. But I asked two questions to myself that I needed to answer yes to. First was they had to have a pro skill, you know, whatever level you're at, they had to have a WNBA skill, for lack of a better word, you know, that was evident to me. There was a strength that I knew was going to be able to be effective in my league. I had to have that. And then the second thing, and the one that really defined a lot of decisions for me was, are they a good teammate? The way I defined that after, after a lot of thoughts on everybody's different and all those kind of things was, do they add energy to their team, teammates, or do they take it? Because my philosophy and my culture didn't work very well if I had too many people take. I needed people who gave energy. I needed people who were going to be there uh, after a tough loss. I needed people who could embrace the grind of a long season. So those were the two questions that served me very well. And it's hard sometimes. Because sometimes you have opportunities to take very talented people, but if you can't see them as somebody that's going to give the team energy, it might have worked for other coaches. I'm sure it does. It just didn't work in my style. Thank you. And those advices are the same with your advices for girls who want to play in WNBA? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. You know, I think it's important that the love of the game, it's important whether you're a young player or you're an old. If you lose the love of the game, then I don't think they can't pay you enough money for you to perform in a really good way. And I think what you want to do when you're young is do the things that help develop the love of the game, the way you practice it the way you accept learning. Those are all very, very, very important to foster a beginning of love of the game. And then play the game as long as you can, as long as you still have that love of the game. And I want to ask your advices for coaches. We talked about players and I want to hear your advice for coaches. Is there any advice for new coaches who's in new in women's basketball? I think it's important that there be fundamental development. And if you study my career as far as drafting, I drafted a great deal of players from around the world. I was one of the first and I continue to do that because the thing that I found maybe even more so from a world perspective than from a United States perspective was development of young players fundamentally, how they learned the game. They saw the game as a complete basketball player, not just a big post player that had these kinds of moves or a guard that couldn't necessarily go to a back to the basket situation. I love international players because they kind of came at it 
like a total basketball. And when I went to develop players, Brianna Stewart comes to mind that maybe as good a player and I coached her in 2018 as there was in the world and still true. But I wanted her to be a complete player. I wanted her not only to be a forward and a presence in the paint, I wanted her to shoot threes. I wanted her to advance the ball. I wanted her to use screens and set screens, both. I wanted that kind of look. And I was heavily influenced by so many international players around the world that had that look at how they're developed. We talked about your basketball career. And as I said in the beginning, I want to hear your transition to be a broadcaster. And how does your coaching experience inform your work as a broadcaster? The broadcasting started for me around 2000 when I was in Cleveland. And our broadcaster was a legendary guy named Joe Tate. He got the Kurt Gowdy Award. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. But he said to me, why don't you come with me? I'm going to do a high school game on an off night. He did the NBA. He did the Cleveland Cavaliers. He said, why don't you come with me and we'll do the game. So that was the first time I actually looked at it as a broadcaster. I went with him to this high school game. I really enjoyed it. And it started me when I could starting to develop that a little bit. It gave me an opportunity look forward to the day I didn't have a team and I wasn't coaching in the traditional sense that I could still bring my teaching ability to the game of basketball, that I could talk about the game that's on. I really enjoy that. That's my mind very much fires in a way that I enjoy talking about the game. It, it reminds me it's the closest thing to actual coaching that I could come up with. It's afforded me an opportunity in that moment to still feel the communication that, that a coach feels sometimes. And in many ways, it's allowed the transition for me not being an active coach to doing that. And ESPN and Fox, Oklahoma, Valley Sports, and all the different people have afforded me. And I don't really solicit, I don't have an agent, I don't have people do it. They just call and say, hey, can you do this game? And I've developed an appreciation for, especially in the stage of life I am right now, to being a part of the basketball game. I'm not a coach anymore. I'm not all that. But I feel a part of the game, just I'm sure like officials do. It is really thrilling to me to still feel active in those ways. Thank you. Like basketball is your life, still is your life. Actually, it's one of my favorite questions. I ask this question some of the legendary coaches like, in Turkey, I asked the legendary coach, his name's Aydiners, and... I know the name, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And his response to me was very funny. He said, my question is not secret, I, I will tell you. I asked it, and he was like, okay, I will tell you, but not now. It's a long response. It's gonna be long response. I will tell you, but not now. And now I want to ask, in your opinion, how has the game of basketball evolved over the years? And what do you think the future holds for the sport? I'm a pretty big fan of all kinds of basketball, but I'll talk specifically women. The players have become much more athletic as well as skilled. In the 20 years or so I coached the WNBA, some of the defensive things that I could do when I was younger are not as successful now because you have players that can create their own shot. You have players that athletically play above the rim. They play laterally so much quicker than my memory of 20 years ago. So the key and the strategies to slow down a good player, there are players now that can almost single-handedly beat you 
if you don't have a system ready to play. Now that's a change to me. There were not very many players like that 20 some years ago. And now there is a way lot more that I think on the women's side do that. On the men's side, I really like the NBA. I enjoy and learn honestly from their progression. I find that to be the most applicable to the world I lived in. The college men, I'd like to see some growth in the game. I feel like the game is pretty much where it was when I left it. And it's a good game, but I think there's time for change in quarters that they play and a little more freedom of movement. Some different things I think would make the game even better. But basketball as a sport, to me, male or female, is at an all-time high, and especially around the world. I think the NBA began it, and I think we in the WNBA have followed it. It's a worldwide sport, and they look at it that way at that point. But I do think that there's some changes on the business side. I don't know the NBA business side as well. I do know the WNBA business side. I think it's better, but I think there's room for growth, especially on the professional women's side. There's room for growth on the business side. Thank you. Uh, let us proceed to the final question. And in your opinion, what are the musts of basketball? It is the ultimate team game. You've got one ball. It is a game that you have to play offense and then immediately play defense at that point. And so the must to me is a beginning point where I think that you have the ability to empower others with your game. It, it's not an individual sport and it doesn't even have some of the traits of an individual sport. This is just me. I know there's some great one-on-one -on -one players out there. But a must to me is that a player understands the beauty of the pack that a player understand the beauty of getting open, not just what they do with the ball in your hands. You have to begin with the ball in your hands and develop the skill. And I get all that. But to complete the journey, you've got to appreciate what you do without the ball. And that includes defensively. I just, with Sue Bird, they retired her jersey, one of the most phenomenal examples of a point guard that you can find. And I only coached her a couple of years, but the thing I respected so much for her was that she respected the defensive end, even as a more mature player. She offensively had gifts that were just really amazing, but she respected the defensive end. And that helped empower the team to also respect the defensive end, you know, in regard to that. Th those to me are the must. As I look at it, especially fortunate in my life to have been around, I think, some players that were every bit as smart as me, probably smarter. The thing I could do was teach. The thing I could do was help them learn how to teach their teammates. Because to be honest with you, I was around such brilliant players. I had a trust in that. My job was to teach them how to teach their teammates what they knew right here. Thank you for coming. It's really honor to me to talking with you here. And thank you for all of your response to my all of your question. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you and Turkey. I've had so many players play in Turkey through the years. And I've even interacted with some professional on the male and on the female side uh, in Turkey. And I, I just appreciate being a part. Your questions were excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And hope to see you soon in Turkey or in another country. Like <laughs> That you. would be great. Yeah. And see you. Thank you. In this episode, we are with Dan Hoos. Thank you for your time. I hope you enjoyed. See you in next episode. Bye-bye.